Hello, and welcome to the Second Chair Leadership Podcast, episode 28. Today, I'm so grateful to have as my guest, John West from Trinity Wesleyan Church in Indianapolis. John is the multiplication pastor and is passionate about multiplying disciples, leaders, and churches. John is also the author of Banding Together, a practical guide for disciple makers. We're going to get to into that book just a little bit, more on that later, but I really think that you're going to enjoy today's conversation with John West. John, welcome to the show. Yeah, thanks for having me. Uh, excited to be on. Yeah, I really appreciate it. Thanks for carving out some time to be with us today. I think the best place to start, John, is at the beginning. Um, why don't you give us a little bit of a snapshot about who you are and, and, and a glimpse into your personal life? Yeah, sounds great. Uh, well, first thing you need to know, I've got four girls. So everybody listening needs to be praying for me fervently. Uh, I've got a four-year-old, a nine-year-old, <clears throat> uh, 13 and 15. And uh, in fact, homecoming was just not too long ago, and I had kind of some moments. So, yeah, so yeah, father of four, uh, got a beautiful wife, Katie. We've been married, oh, a little over <clears throat> 17, 18 years. And uh, I am a Iowa native, so I'm a huge Hawkeye fan. I love the Iowa Hawkeyes. And then somewhere along the way, became a San Francisco 49ers fan. I think I grew up in the Joe Montana, Jerry Rice era. And uh, so I love sports. I love uh, playing basketball, football, golf, uh, big history buff, and uh, been a pastor now for almost 20 years, kind of crazy. I'm a pastor in the Wesleyan Church and uh, definitely a church planter at heart. We've had the privilege of planting a couple churches and now find myself in in a new role here in Indianapolis with a good friend of mine. Um, yeah, helping to continue on multiplying disciples, leaders, and churches. Uh, it's kind of neat to to be in a new role now where I've moved from kind of a lead planter and lead pastor to a uh, multiplication pastor. But, but life is good, man. It's beautiful outside. And uh, so, yeah, enjoying, enjoying the day, enjoying our time. Yeah, you bet. I have to uh, I have to share in your joy. Go Hawkeyes. Uh, I, too, am That's born right, and raised man. Iowa boy. And uh, I live in the heart of Jake Hawk country here in Kansas, so I'm 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 doomed. Um, but uh, I I would like to know how you ended up a Niners fan. Actually, you don't have to answer it, but um, yeah. all we ever saw growing up was the Chicago Bears. Oh yeah, yeah, that's true. <laughs> I, the one bummer about living in the Midwest is all of the San Francisco games uh, tend to not be televised. So. Oh, yeah. And they have not been doing very well lately, so it's been kind of a down season. But, yeah. you know, we should start an Iowa Hawkeye support group uh, uh, for those that now live outside of the state. Because there's not a ton of fans I'm finding yeah, <laughs> outside yeah. of Iowa, but I had to find one. Yeah, hopelessly lovable. That's what we can call it. Hopelessly lovable. <laughs> you know, just we'll always, uh, they'll always have our support, but, you know... We know when the end is near. <laughs> <laughs> right around playoff time, we tend yeah, to drop Right when it matters yeah. most. But, but hey, um, tell us a little bit more about what it is to be a multiplication pastor. So talk to us about your current role and main area of expertise. Yeah, sure. I So when I first came to the church, uh, 
the senior pastor and I, Mike, uh, we've been really good friends for a long time. And uh, he had a vision to <clears throat> see the church really, really multiply and um, multiple locations, multiply disciples, raise up new leaders, all that kind of thing. But when I came on, he said I could, uh, I could write my own job description and kind of title and all that kind of thing once we had the vision. Uh, nailed down. And honestly, multiplication pastor was about the closest I could get. But I get I get funny comments all the time and question marks, you know, whether I do, you know, long algorithms at my desk and and uh, math equations or something like that. Um, but <clears throat> but really, the the essentially the role is to to try to spark a, a movement, not just of, of planting new churches, but also really starting with discipleship and our strategy for making disciples and how that really ought to be the base level of what multiplication should look like. Hmm. Uh, so that's a little bit about my role. I would oversee uh, our discipleship groups and process. I would help oversee uh, any of our church plants that are launched. I help coach them. And then I've also done a little bit of work over the last few years. We've, we adopted a, Another church is a campus of ours, so I've done a little bit of, of work with that. Mm. And then most recently, the role has evolved into, um, with the release of the book and a lot of other things, just trying to resource other churches and districts around the country uh, and even around the world. Some neat things are happening globally with this resource. So, uh, yeah, so excited about that. But that's, yeah, that's probably the best way to, to give you a snapshot of, of what I do. Yeah. And I have to imagine, because I think this has been true for me, um, that I didn't probably expect or anticipate where I would be today. And so I'd just be curious to know, what have been some of the defining moments in your life or in your career that have led you to this place? Sure, sure. Yeah, so it's funny, the the culmination of a number of things. I think, first of all, just God's wiring in, in my heart, my giftedness. I'm definitely a starter, an entrepreneur. I love launching new things. Before I was called into ministry, I was a business major at Northern Iowa. thought I would be, you know, starting my own business. God called me into ministry. I was kind of youth ministry for a while and some other things. And then somebody said, man, you, you ever thought about planting a church? And so that started a whole new journey where I really found I think my sweet spot in ministry, which is starting, starting new churches. Mm. And uh, so definitely some defining moments along the way were experiences with those church plants. Um, we planted our first church in Dallas, Texas, and a second one in uh, Des Moines, Iowa, kind of came back home. But if I were to look, look at all of it and say, well, why, why didn't you just plant again? You know, why did you move to a established church and connect it in there? I think it's really two things. I think the first is the opportunity I have here to to really help launch a greater movement. Indianapolis is a pretty large metropolitan area. Uh, Trinity Church is situated pretty well to do that, mm-hmm. and to be in ministry with a friend was, was a huge selling point. I think the second piece of that, which is more painful, uh, is the beginning of 2015, January of 2015. I went on a three month sabbatical. And that sabbatical was really the, the culmination of the year from hell, uh, as, a, as I like to describe it affectionately, um, with just a lot of 
of just internal wrestling, a little tired from 10 to 12 years of church planning, finding myself at a place where I felt a bit trapped in ministry. I wasn't sure how to get out. Um, I couldn't let the church down. I didn't want to let myself down and and really feeling like I kind of was hitting a wall, had a couple other situations happen, Mm -hmm. the family and, and the church. And uh, I felt during that time, like God really told me, you know, the Great Commission is to go and make disciples. Mm-hmm. And at the church, you've been carrying a lot of this on your own. You've been trying to do it all yourself. And, and while you've been gathering people and doing a lot of outreach, which is great, um, baptizing a lot of people, <clears throat> mm-hmm. I had to look in the mirror and realize I really wasn't making disciples. And I wasn't empowering leaders. Mm-hmm. And so... The backside of that sabbatical was really a time for me to reevaluate where I was at, what I was doing, and where I needed to go next. And the opportunity at Trinity provided me a great place to serve on a team, to not carry the weight of all that on my own, to kind of heal a little bit, yeah. if I'm going to be quite honest. And, uh, and then to take this broader vision for really a multiplication movement. Um, and kind of go after that yeah. in a new situation. So that that's that would probably just recently, I would say that moment in 2015 is pretty pretty watershed yeah. for me. Yeah. If I can ask a follow up to that, um, how, how did you feel about what God was saying to you about making disciples at that time? Yeah, I think I. I think like a lot of, of pastors, I, I interpreted discipleship pretty broadly, uh, maybe more. Uh, I think the way I explain it now, you know, spiritual formation is kind of this giant umbrella that we, we kind of dump everything under, uh, everything from worship services to sermons to, um, you know, high quality coffee. Like it's all spiritually forming us in some way. Um, but intentional discipleship, when you put it, a face and a name to a person that you're actively discipling is a different story. And, and I really, I really, you know, back to how I was feeling when that, that hit, it was really just, just very eye opening. Mm. I, I kind of had interpreted the great commission much more as an evangelistic strategy to go, you know, we had a great commission mall, a wall at the church I grew up mm-hmm. in with the world map. And that was all our missionaries. Yeah. Uh, and I kind of just read the Great Commission through a new lens. This is a disciple-making commission. And yes, it starts with going. But if we don't do that, planting churches, um, all these other ministries that are happening, if you're not making disciples, kind of like, why are you doing what you're doing? And I had to really look in the mirror and come to grips with that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and I just wonder, I wonder how what's different about your story compared to others who who realize something about themselves or the work that they're doing. Maybe it is an internal sense of just right and wrong, or maybe God does, you know, has prompted them in some way. Um, and they become defeated by that reality, right? I have yeah. somehow failed in this thing, but I don't get that sense from you. Um, so I was just kind of wondering, like, have you thought about what's different? Like you were, you've, you've pivoted, I, I would say, you know, and pivoted yeah. well. 
Yeah. Um, Yeah, definitely. Uh, There were definitely some moments, I'll be honest, where I wasn't sure where the pivot was going to come from. Mm -hmm. Uh, I did have a fantasy where driving a UPS truck on Monday morning just sounded awesome. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, that that would just be the ideal calling from God or working at Dunkin' Donuts or building houses. You know, that, that would be... Um, so I definitely had moments. I, I think for me, part of it was my support structure. Uh, I had really, really good mentors that helped guide me through some of that, some of the darkest moments for sure. Mm. I had a, uh, I had a supervisor that really stepped into the church during my sabbatical and really helped, helped carry things along. Mm-hmm. You know, I think like so many so many pastors and leaders, it's just, it's so tempting to wrap up your identity and your ministry. And, and I had done that and I needed, I needed some space to process where I didn't have to worry about what was happening back at the church. And so my, my supervisor, my district superintendent did a lot of that. That was a huge blessing. Um, and I think part of the pivoting for me is just realizing, I mean, talk about watershed moments. God very clearly called me into ministry uh, when I was 19 years old. I look back at that kind of a road to Damascus type of moment. And I just knew I couldn't abandon that, but I also Mm -hmm. knew I can't keep doing what I'm doing. Mm -hmm. You know, there's a scene in recovery. I did a lot with celebrate recovery and, and that, that when the pain of staying the same is greater than the pain of change. Mm. <laughs> People change. Yeah. And unfortunately, I had to come to kind of that moment where the pain of continuing to do it the same way. Um, I just knew I, I wasn't gonna gonna go through that again. It was time to time to find a new way. So yeah, yeah, yeah. I hear you. I want to ask you about what you love about what you're doing now, but I just realized. I want to ask you another question first. Okay. Yeah. What do you miss most about being a planter? Yeah, I, I, uh, there are a lot of things I do miss. Uh, I miss the, the sort of the feeling of being at the tip of the spear a little bit, mm-hmm. um, launching out probably my, <clears throat> my most exciting days are the days that freak other people out. Uh, it's, it's that time when you're about ready to take the step off the edge of the cliff that I get just really excited and pumped up. I, I like the risk of it and I like stepping out in faith. And I love just knowing that there was nothing and that God used that planting adventure to build to build a, a group of worshipers for his glory. And, you know, I had this moment hit me at our first church plant three years in and I'm watching really a community center filled with two or 300 people, just all worshiping God. And just the realization hit me. None of these people were here Mm. three years ago. Mm. And so there's something very gratifying about starting from, from scratch and seeing God use you to, to create that. I, I miss that. I miss a lot of the vision side of it. I think being in a lead position where you're, helping to cast a lot of vision and, and, and moving that forward. Yeah. It's part of, part of what I miss as well. But yeah, um, there's days, you know, you, you kind of wonder, fantasize, think about, you know, will I ever, will I ever do that again? And, and I don't know, um, never know what God might do, but yeah, but it, it, it's one of the most 
rewarding experiences I think you can you can have and at the same time it can be painful <laughs> it yeah. can be painful yeah. high risk high reward brother <laughs> right right yeah well that's really helpful I mean because the reality is is now you're in a different place a different space and doing um you know, you're still using your entrepreneurial and apostolic um, giftings and impulses just in a new way. And so yeah. uh, one of the questions uh, you knew I would ask you today is, what do you love about what you're doing right now? Yeah, I love I love mobilizing people, mobilizing the body of Christ. Uh, it's one of those things that the really part of my epiphany a few years ago was, was my calling. It's the calling of every pastor. Ephesians four, you know, God has given some to be apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers to equip God's people um, for works of service and a whole variety of other things. I think that equipping part and seeing the church like activated and mobilized is one of the things I get a lot of joy out of watching somebody who, has kind of sat on the sidelines for a long time, maybe been at worship services, maybe come on Sundays, but never really been in a disciple making role mm -hmm. to like step into that. Uh, watching lay leaders eyes open to the possibility they have to know that the great commissions for all of us, mm -hmm. not just for the elite mm -hmm. uh, and, and equipping them to do it and hearing the stories of, of how they're changing lives and transforming people for the kingdom. That's super rewarding. I love doing that. Yeah. Um, like 98% of pastors uh, love to teach and preach uh, just because it's an opportunity to, to, I shouldn't say 98%. There's probably a, a chunk that don't, but um, I really love diving into God's word and inspiring others, uh, teaching others, proclaiming, some of those deep truths. So that's a, that's a huge part of it. Got a young group of staff members coming up. I've been doing a lot of mentoring and pouring into them, which has been just great. Mm -hmm. uh, I do love going to bed at night and not having to bear the weight of it, the entire church. Yeah. I love that. I really love that. Yeah, yeah. I that. <laughs> that's really nice too. <laughs> Saturday nights, I find I sleep a little bit better now than yeah. I did a few years ago. I'm not sure why. Uh, might have something to do with my role, but right. uh, that's a really beautiful thing, brother. I'll be honest. Yeah, I, I agree. Absolutely. Yeah. No. Well, I think uh, on the flip side of that, and you having been a planter for so long and then stepping into a staff role, um, has also sort of revealed some things about, as you have said to me a couple of different times, you said, I'm, man, I'm glad to talk on the podcast. Thanks for inviting me, but I'm not sure like I'm the best role model here <laughs> yeah, um, <laughs> because I have some inner struggles and some inner tensions with being in that second chair. And so, um, what do you, you know, what are your, some of your thoughts on that as, um, as you've, as you've tr been in this role for a while now and <clears throat> dealing yeah, with some of those definitely. tensions? Um, yeah, there's a few things. Uh, I, I think, I think it's interesting and, and this kind of goes back to wiring and gifting and you just have to know who God's made you to be. Um, I came into this role during a time where I was really needing, I was just really needing that sense of uh, 
I would almost say rest, but really what I mean by that isn't, isn't rest in the sense of not doing the work as much as it is the weight. Mm -hmm. I don't think a lot of people fully understand uh, until you've sat in that first chair, there's a certain amount of weight that you carry that, that the others don't. And, um, it's a huge blessing for so many of the, the, the folks on the team, but I don't know if they fully realize, you know, and I've talked to so many people that <clears throat> they thought, oh, one day I'm going to be the whatever pastor or this or that, the other. And then they get into it and they realize, man, this isn't something I really even enjoy. Like I got to carry this. And mm. I had such a, such a great opportunity where I was at. So, so, you know, there's, there's so many pros to it. I think the cons are, you're, you're leading differently and you're working through others. And if you're a strong visionary and you have, uh, you find yourself in a role where there's someone who's making the decisions, I guess, above you, learning how to, learning how to navigate that and um, where you need to chime in and where you need to be quiet, where you need to really go after something that you feel passionate about to your senior leadership and when you realize, you know what, they've already made a decision, I need to step back. Mm. That's one of the things I've, I've still not fully, there's an art to it mm. that a lot of people do a great job with. Yeah. Um, I'm still always feeling a little bit of the tension of that. I think one of the things that <clears throat> I've realized as I'm in the second chair is when you talk about concepts like submission, uh, humility, things like that. When you're in the first chair, it's easier to talk about because you are the one who's leading and growing and you're making the decisions. Um, as the church moves forward, you can talk about humility a lot and everyone <laughs> pats you on the back and you don't have to actually experience it. Mm. I think sometimes when you're in the second chair, there can be a a sense at times, Hey, I feel a little overlooked or how, how come I'm not receiving the credit for the overall vision that's taken place. And you really experience sometimes humility and submission mm. where God has to, you really have to deal with it. Like in a very tangible way. Yeah. And uh, that could just be me. I, I know I'm a, I'm a bit of an Enneagram guy. seems like that's becoming the the new trend and I'm, I'm the achiever on the personality type. So that would be a three. And, and I like to, to have reward and credit and, sure. you know, sometimes that's a, that's something that doesn't always get doled out equally. And you yeah. got to learn humility in that you're a part of a bigger team. Yeah. And when you're the coach or the quarterback, Sometimes the eyes are, are on you, mm. you know, you're the Tom Brady or Bill Belichick, but when you're the right tackle or the defensive end or the safety or a different position on the team, mm. man, you're really confronted with, am I here for the team mm-hmm. or am I just here for my own glory? Right. And that gets worked out spiritually for men and women that sit in the second chair because you really have to wrestle with motivation. Right doing what you're doing. And in some ways, Josh, it actually purifies mm-hmm. you uh, because you have to come to grips with some of that. Yeah. I don't know if that makes yeah. sense. If I'm explaining that well, but, yeah. but those are some of the stretch points in my own life is just motivation. Yeah. Why are you doing what you're doing? How do you lead through other people? Yeah. And um, 
and knowing the tension of when to push and when to submit or when to go after something and when to say, okay, I gotta, I gotta be on board here, Mm -hmm. even though it might not be my perfect preferred vision of the future. Sure. So, yeah, all good, all good points. Yeah. I appreciate that. Yeah. Yeah. John, what do you hope that those who follow you learn from your leadership? Yeah, I, you know, back to what I was just sharing, I think to be able to see that in action, uh, there's a phrase that's been going around in our, our movement, our denomination a bit. And, and I don't know where I first heard it, but it's this idea of mutual voluntary submission, Mm. um, that we have to have relationships and trust that's big enough that we can take some bold steps and risks and learn how to submit to one another mutually. And, and one of the things I really do, I really do pray that, that people see in me is that spirit of submission mutually with um, our lead pastor and with the other staff members that we truly do serve each other, love each other. Yeah. I think I, you know, I, I would hope and who knows, but I would hope that people would see in me kind of a, uh, a desire to, to dream and think big and have big faith and go after things that um, some people would say, oh, I can never happen. I know I, I, on the spiritual gift side anyway, have a high, high degree of faith, really believe God for a lot. And, you know, I pray people would see in me just that sense of, with God, all things are possible and the ability to dream and, and envision what could be. Uh, there's a few other things. Those are some that pop, yeah. pop in my head yeah. initially. But, yeah. Well, that's- uh, and of course, I'm a great dad to my four girls and a, a great husband. Yeah. That's one thing that has really been a blessing about this role. Uh, I felt like previously I, I was a little bit too wrapped up in, ministry and the the big vision of it all. And Mm. God has really allowed me during this season to be a better husband and father. And that's been a huge, huge blessing. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. That's a, it's a great sort of introduction to the next thing I wanted to ask you, because for some courage looks like dreaming big, like you're talking about with God, Mm -hmm. all things are possible and it looks like risk. And for others, you know, um, courage looks more like rest or slowing down, um, and not being the high Enneagram three overachiever, you know, and performer. Um, but curious to know when it comes to leading from a position of authority, when you're not the one in charge, what do we, and what do you understand about courage? Yeah. So I, Definitely have felt, and and again, this is just trying to navigate, <clears throat> trying to navigate some of the tensions I've mentioned earlier. But I definitely feel a sense at times like it almost requires more courage to be quiet. Mm. <laughs> it almost requires more courage to to rest, to not be known, to not be in the spotlight, to willingly defer to. Uh, mm submit to to in many ways live a life of humility um at the same time when you go through a season of a burnout and when you go through a dark time in your life or in your ministry 
there's also a courage that comes with, I've experienced pain. I know what fear looked like. <laughs> I faced it. I've had some really dark days. And do I really want to step out again? Mm. And that's a whole different, whole different angle on it, you know, when it comes to, to courage. I think somebody told me, and I don't know exactly how the quote goes, but essentially that courage isn't the absence of fear, but it's being willing to step out in the face of it or something like that in the midst of it. Yeah. So going through some stuff and then being willing to step out again, um, that's, that's something that, that requires courage as well. So I like how you phrase the question though, because I think courage does take on different facets depending on where you're at yeah, yeah. Uh, in, and in ministry. Yeah. Yeah, there's, you know, I've got there are so many different out. angles that uh, everyone takes, which is kind of why I ask it the way I do. And it, like what you said, prompted some things in me, like even to ask myself or, you know, reflect on this is, would you choose, if you had to choose, a season of obscurity or a season of burnout? Right? <laughs> That's right. <laughs> I mean, That's good, um, man. And yeah. I mean, what would you, what, you know, I, you don't have to answer that now, but that's where, that's where my mind went and I wrote it sure. down. Cause I'm thinking sure. you're, you're touching on some things in like my own life and my own work. Oh, and, yeah. and so yeah. I'm hoping yeah. that that really does resonate. And I believe it does resonate with so many that do listen to this podcast and maybe they are, maybe they are in the obscure place, which is not a bad place to be, by the way. Um, no. there's, I, someone once said, I, um, on this podcast, you shouldn't ever trust a leader who hasn't been through a season of obscurity. Hmm. Oh, that's good. And um, so you may be in the obscure place or you may be in the burnout place and, and know that in both those places, God is there. Um, and, and that there is a, you know, that, that you, you won't stay there. <laughs> if you're, yeah. 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 <clears throat> you know, and that, that kind of brings up a thought to me too, because I've, I've really been captured with, you know, when you talk about multiplication, the natural result is that, you know, God is, I believe God wants to unleash a movement of disciples and revival and awakening in churches and ministries all over the world. But what's interesting when you start studying really the great, a lot of the great movements throughout history is there's not a lot of names and faces and rock star types that are attached to them. Mm. It tends to be, it tends to be God using very humble, um, humble people willing to live in obscurity to count the costs and do what it takes mm. to make it happen. Yeah. And in fact, sometimes I think that desire for celebrity or status or whatever it does, it actually can detract from the movement because it comes more, maybe more human centered or mm. gifted led or whatever it may be. Um, you know, you think in Northern India, China, some places in Africa where great movements of God are happening and, and, and there's no name to it. Mm. You don't know who it is. And right. I think God oftentimes moves that way. And perhaps the next revival in North America might be a faceless one, yeah. you know, that's huh. not, not attached to any, any one person. So yeah. Interesting. Anyway, interesting thought. Well, yeah. I would love to hear and talk a little bit more now about, uh, banding together. Um, because that is a 
it, that is a creative, um, that is a creative project. Let me say that for those, um, I'm, when I saw it and when I was first introduced to banding together content, I immediately recognized some things that I had seen before and that you married together. <laughs> and so I don't know, you know, I, I, I have been for those, uh, who are, are not familiar with, uh, the, the idea of being in an intimate discipleship group or, uh, maybe called an accountability group. This would be the kind of group that gets together every week. And it, the time is structured as such where generally speaking, a couple of different things are going to happen. Um, scripture is going to be read or it's going to be reviewed. Um, prayers are prayed and, uh, some really sort of wholehearted soul searching questions are asked about your, your personal life, your family life, your, your spiritual life, um, you know, work life even. And, um, I've been a part of those groups in the past. And so when I saw this, I saw the journal and I opened it up and I, and I immediately thought, well, this is pretty brilliant. I've seen these things separately, but somebody finally had the foresight and, and the creative superpower to bring them together into one tool. So yeah. my, I tip my hat to you because um, that actually for me uh, has, it, it has eliminated a number of obstacles that have kind of stood in the way in the past when it comes to facilitating uh, discipleship groups or accountability groups. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. Yeah, this is peanut butter and chocolate right here. Whenever <laughs> I remember those commercials where the, the chocolate would fly into the peanut butter and then Reese's peanut butter cups would come out of it. Right. Uh, but yeah, I mean, that's a definite, I like the way you describe that, you know, bringing things together that maybe existed alone. I think the, the root of this really came out of a, a local church trying to figure out how do we mobilize people mm. to make disciples? Mm -hmm. Because if you ask, if you ask a dozen people, um, at least in a Christian setting and you say, Hey, I want you to go disciple so-and-so Josh. Mm -hmm. uh, it's, it's going to be 12 different answers and 12 different thoughts. And, and what does it even mean to make disciples? We try to try to say, let's get to kind of the basics of what brings transformation in people's lives mm -hmm. and design a resource where people can literally use the word of God, the people of God and the Holy spirit and, and begin to form these groups. So the discipleship happens more organically and, you talk about marrying concepts. I'll just kind of name drop where this all came from and, and some of that. Mm -hmm. But I was introduced to a journaling method that Wayne Cordero came up with in the Divine Mentor. And it's a real simple process, scripture, observation, application, prayer. And we use the acrostic soap. And uh, I really, I've always loved that process. Uh, it's one of the things that's, that's helped me and just literally millions of others get into God's word in a deeper way. And then I also had done some experimenting with Neil Cole and life transformation groups where you're reading large sections of scripture and then you're asking questions about it. And so those two concepts came together. And then being a Wesleyan, uh, you know, John Wesley had, a whole structure of discipleship and the band meeting was kind of the most intimate level, three to five people that would get together for that. Mm -hmm.
kind of came together and um, 3DM and some of what they do through, you know, missional discipleship and praying for lost people in their community. Anyway, we just tied, we tied a lot of those concepts together into this resource. You know, it's a, it's a 90, 92 page <laughs> leader manual. Someone told me a, the other day, they said, thanks for writing a book that I can actually like read and, and digest. But, um, but yeah, that's the concept. Mm-hmm. That's the concept of, of how it came together. So, yeah. And talk a little bit more, uh, if you would, just about some of the fruit that you're seeing over the last couple of years after having implemented um, discipleship groups at your church, and then even now, kind of just a little bit more broadly, what you're doing in the denomination and other places uh, sure. to help yeah. churches. Yeah, so there is a, a definite missing space in a lot of churches uh, when it comes to discipleship. Oftentimes, there's a big weekend gathering and a Sunday worship service. Typically, there's some kind of a small group, Sunday school type space of 10 to 15 people, maybe even all the way up to 20 or 30. But most churches are missing kind of that three to five space. And that's about that's about the only place where confession of sin really can happen mm. uh, at an intimate level, where you can really process what, what God is speaking to you about in his word, where those real deeper, much deeper relationships form. So we just went after that. Mm. That's really the space we're going after with banding together. And, um, you know, we started with 20 leaders, trained them, really looked for our disciple makers. They then, you know, reached three people and 20 went to 75 to 80. And then Mm -hmm. 50 of the 80 decided to launch out and I went to 200. And, um, you know, we're a little over two years into it now and got almost 300 people connected into these groups. Um, I think the fruit of that process started sort of my, my wheels spinning about, could we provide this resource for other pastors? Could it be bigger than a local church thing? Mm-hmm. And so Wesleyan Publishing House picked up the project. And what's happened since then has been just, you know, really, a, I think a God thing. And, and I don't say that lightly. I, I really do feel like it's not been something I've been promoting or pushing or trying to like, you know, hawk on the street corner or anything like that. Uh, People have found the resource. It's scratching an itch that a lot of pastors have, which is how do we mobilize our people mm-hmm. to make disciples instead of putting all that on the church. Mm-hmm. Um, and so now we've trained a little over a hundred pastors through some cohorts I'm doing online. Right. Uh, we have our second conference getting ready to kick off in October in, in Greensboro, North Carolina, which will be exciting. Yeah. Uh, Globally, some cool things are happening. Different missionaries are taking it overseas. We're just translating it into Hungarian and mm. Ukrainian and yeah. <laughs> Romanian and some other countries. So yeah. it's just neat to see this thing really begin to take off. Um, I think it resonates with people because it's it's a bit of a missing space in our churches. Yeah, absolutely. And for those who would like to uh, find out more you have a website set up. Yeah, sure. Uh, bandingtogether.net is kind of a good landing page. Uh, there's actually a four week training guide that we give for free if you land there. And if you're interested in being a part of a, 
an online cohort, 10 to 12 pastors that walk through these principles for nine months and really look at your discipleship pathway and how you're multiplying at your church. That's an option on the website uh, as well. And then we have a Facebook group. Mm. Um, Again, the group is just called Banding Together. Uh, You know, we're up to over about 500 people on there now. It's starting to really grow. And and it's, again, a place to find other resources to share what churches are learning with one another. I've got different videos on there, updates, just more information on discipleship. And it's a really good, good hub. So those are a couple, couple opportunities. Absolutely. I'll be sure to include the links in the show notes so people can just click and go um, to the Facebook page and to the website. It's really exciting. And I am, I'm in one of those cohorts that you've mentioned. And so if you're listening to this and you want um, and you just want to hear what I have to say about it, um, be happy to talk with you as well, uh, about, um, John and the cohorts that he's facilitating and how we as a church are preparing to launch our first, uh, discipleship groups using banding together material. And so, um, I'll have more to say about that in the coming months. Cause we don't, you know, obviously we haven't even started yet, but, we are excited, and we are planning those first initial meetings already for this summer, so we're well on our way, even in the midst of this coaching and training season. So it's really cool. It's really exciting for us as well. Yeah, cool. Hey, as we wrap cool. up, John, I have some questions. Just love to hear your, your gut response, too. It's kind of yeah. the lightning round, if you will. If, <laughs> nice. Yes, and uh, if you could grab a cup of coffee or something to drink with any leader alive, who would it be and why? Oh, so I I can't say Jesus. All right. He is alive, but maybe not embodied in a way. Uh, You know, it would either be like a star athlete, like a Tiger Woods or Michael Jordan, partly because I just love what, like what inspires them, what keeps them, keeps them going. I love competitive people. Mm. Uh, Mark Zuckerberg comes to mind, Mm. Facebook. I think I'm fascinated by movements and networks and would love to get in his brain to see what his long-term vision is for how human beings connect and how to create those kind of webs of relationships. I'd love to get the backend algorithms of how Mm. they figure all that stuff out. So that might be, that might be one or two. Good choice. What's one book that you've read that you would recommend every leader read? So I read a book, this is probably about six months ago by Mark Batterson, and it's called Whisper. Not really a leadership book. It's not, you know, seven skills of a highly effective leader or anything like that. But, you know, I'm just becoming more and more convinced that one of the greatest skills a disciple of Christ can have is knowing how to hear the voice of God, yeah. knowing how to hear God speak and call and discern. And uh, this book, Whisper, really it really dives into seven different ways that God speaks and how to be in tune with him. And, you know, I've, heard, I've read a lot of leadership books, but sometimes they can feel a bit, uh, yeah, just human-centered. I think Whisper is it's just a, it's a really good book to learn how to, how to discern God's voice. So that, that's one that pops in my pops in my mind. Yeah. Good. And how about a tool that you can't live without? Uh, a tool. 
Man, I am. First of all, I am not a craftsman at all. So my brain doesn't even go to hammers and nails right. and screwdrivers. No, that's all good. Um, Could- and I'm not a huge tech guy either. I, you know, this is going to be really funny and I'll just reveal like a weakness. <laughs> it just popped in my head as a tool. Um, I have this genetic nerve deafness thing that my dad gave to me, unfortunately, when I was born. Okay. And when I was about 30, I realized, man, I'm going to have to have hearing aids and I gotta, I'm got i just going to have to suck it up, bite the bullet. Well, mm-hmm. the technology has gotten so good that all that these hearing aids are Bluetoothed in. So when I'm driving down the road, I can just click a button and the call goes right to my ears. Oh, no way. I can run, hit a button. The iTunes goes straight to my ears. I can, I can tweak the sound, the audio levels, like... I think I've got this disability now that everybody's going to be clamoring for in another, because I see people with the earbuds, you know, hanging out of their ears. And I'm like, it just looks corny. Like if you had hearing aids like me, nobody could see it. So I think that's a pretty nice. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. You need that. Right. Absolutely. Can you, is there an app for that, by the way, Um, now that you mentioned it, like, can you control that on your phone? Oh yeah, totally. Okay. Oh yeah. Yeah. There's an app you can, you can do all sorts of things with it and people are fascinated by it. And it's almost like, Hey, how do I pick up a pair? Yeah. And I'm kind of, well, they're yeah. a little expensive and uh, yeah, work well with people that can't hear. So yeah. that's yeah. me. How about a personal habit that makes you better? You know, not to be a, uh, you know, self-promoting or, or the book or anything like that, but I really do J- journaling has been something that I really was never into all that much. I, I hit that dark season a few years ago. Somebody said, Hey, you know, you really, you really ought to start writing down how God's speaking to you, what you're thinking. Hmm. And that started a habit in my life that, that continues to this day. Uh, there's something about spending time in God's word and uh, not just reading it, but really engaging it. Mm-hmm. And then writing down what he's trying to tell you, uh, I think that makes me be better and more in tune with what God's doing on a day-to-day basis. So, yeah. Yeah, good. Well said. Well, hey, um, before we close, just wondering, for those of us who are listening, want to follow along and learn from you, what's what's the best way for, for folks to, to connect with you on social media? Or is it through the website? What would you say? Yeah, social media is probably the quickest, easiest way in terms of accessibility in that. Uh, you can just, you know, John West, my last name spelled so funky. I don't know why my ancestors, it's W I E S T. Uh, the I is silent, but, um, but probably Facebook. I mentioned that Facebook group, you know, banding together Facebook group. Uh, that's probably best. I, I do have an email. I'm fine giving out, but just J W I E S T. And then the numbers two, three, Michael Jordan shout out mm. uh, gmail.com so yeah. those are a couple, couple quick ways yeah I'll be sure to include that in the show notes for this episode as well well John I appreciate how you're adding value to people's life and, and, and to my life um, through your speaking and training but also just through how you've like really opened up and been vulnerable with us today sharing your story talking about what you do why you love it um, and in the fruit of it. And so thanks for showing up in a big way today. I really appreciate it. Yeah, absolutely, man. Thanks for having me. It's been good. 
Thanks for listening to today's episode. I consider it a great honor when you share our content across social media. As always, you can lead creatively and courageously right where you are. Thanks for listening.